السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So last week we, uh, we continued with Surah Al-Falaq and we did verses 2 and 3 So we did verses 2 and 3 in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says مِن شَرِّ مَا خَلَقْ وَمِن شَرِّ غَاسِقٍ إِذَا وَقَبْ and so that brings us on to, inshallah, the final two verses uh, of this surah. Um, and it also brings us on in verse number four to the first time that we are going to come across a variation in qira'ah uh, in the Qur'an. So because we're starting from surah Nas, obviously, and, and going in reverse order, it's the first time in the Qur'an where we have a major variation in qira'ah. We've had like um, maybe some small issues come up before. But we're not really going through the rules of Tajweed and so on. We're talking about variations in the words. When the word slightly changes um, from something to something else. So in verse number 4, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِن نَفَّاثَاتِ فِي الْعُقَدِ There is another way of reading this in the recitation of Ruwais, who is one of the uh, rawis or one of the narrators from Ya'qub, who is one of the ten qurra. And he, in his recitation, instead of saying, وَمِن شَرِّ النَّفَّاثَاتِ He says, وَمِن شَرِّ النَّافِثَاتِ وَمِن شَرِّ النَّافِثَاتِ فِي الْعُقَدِ So, something we touched upon last week um, is that because we're going to be doing this fairly regularly throughout the Qur'an, there's like multiple, numerous times where we have these variations. I think it's a good idea and it's important that we have some understanding of what we're speaking about when we mention these term qira'at and who were the qurra and what does it exactly mean and so on and so forth. And also to understand how these qurra, these names, are linked back to the Prophet ﷺ. Because ultimately all of this comes back from the Prophet ﷺ, like hadith and like everything else in our religion. And I kind of debated with this issue and I thought about this because um, qira'at is a discipline and a science in and of itself independent of tafsir and so on. Prophecy tafsir is one of those sciences of Islam that kind of includes everything. And in particular, the different sciences of the Qur'an. And so I was wondering, you know, should I go into this in some detail and some depth or should I just keep it pretty brief? And then I was like, well, if I make it really detailed, people are probably going to get a bit bored and think, oh, you know, what's he doing? And why is he going on to something else and so on? And then I thought, you know, actually, I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to do what I want to do. And what I want to do is actually go into this, not in too much detail, inshallah, not so that it's, you know, something which is going to be like a whole study of the discipline. But at the same time, in enough depth and detail, that inshallah, if you hopefully pay attention and, and keep up with me, it's going to make some sense. So that every time now when I say qira'ah and qurra', you know, like just now when I said to you, oh, Ruwais is one of the ten, you know, one of the, is one of the narrators from the ten qurra', all I see is blank faces. And I don't like seeing blank faces. So hopefully we have enough understanding that when I say this, you at least kind of know, okay, you know, even if you don't like fully understand the discipline and the science, you kind of know, okay, this is what we're speaking about and this is how it relates to us. And the other reason why I want to go into this in some detail is because it is, has become one of the lost sciences of Islam. The science of qira'at is becoming, you know, and inshallah, like, there's, there's like a revival now, especially in the last few years. But it's something which was, you know, for a very long time, not known, not understood, you know, to the extent that if someone was to read in a different qira'ah, 
people would actually think that they've changed the Qur'an. And there's instances and many stories of people in the masjid when someone's changed the qira'ah, you know, like the, either like um, the imams have you know, been corrected because they read, people think they're reading incorrectly or people have caused issues in the masjid simply because of a lack of knowledge. And I remember hearing a story, um, and Allah Azza wa knows best if this is true, but I heard a story from many years ago, like this is like decades and decades ago, when in the University of Medina, they first started um, the Faculty of Qur'an. And the Faculty of Qur'an in the university is not a faculty that specializes so much in tafsir, but rather with a specialism in qiraat. So it speaks about tafsir and so on. But the other faculties and the other colleges also go into depth in tafsir to some extent. Like we studied Ibn Kathir in Sharia. But the Faculty of Qur'an was set up to revive the science of qiraat. Right? But it was something which was new and not something which people were overly familiar with. And there was a gathering of scholars in Medina and students, and they were, you know, they had a gathering, and, and someone was asked to read the Quran at the beginning, right? Like we often do, let's start with the recitation of the Quran. So one of the students who was a student of the faculty of Quran began to recite, and he didn't recite in hafs in the way that we would normally recite, he chose a different qira'ah. And it was one of those unknown qira'at, right? One of the ones that people don't really hear much. Right? So even today, there's qira'at that we're kind of familiar with, like the qira'ah of Warsh. Right? And certain qira'at that we're kind of familiar with because even till today people from Morocco and from other countries will recite this. So you may have come across it at some point or some time. But then there are qira'at which are obscure, rarely recited in, and they're very different. And so he chose a recitation or a qira'at which wasn't familiar to many of the scholars. And as he was reciting, when he came across one of these variations, one of the scholars in that gathering corrected him. And the student you know, is, like, is kind of stuck now, right? His sheikh has corrected him, but the sheikh is wrong because he's correcting him in something which he doesn't understand. So the student repeated the verse and he read it again in the qira'ah. But again, the sheikh corrected him. Right? And this happened maybe two, three, four times until one of the, the professors from the faculty of Qur'an, he spoke up and he said, Oh, sheikh, he's not reading incorrectly. He's just reading in a different qira'ah. And then the sheikh understood and he, he didn't know because it's not something which he specialized in. And in fact, even in many of the books of tafsir, you see there are books of tafsir that will mention the differences in qiraat and they will point to it. And there are books of tafsir that don't really mention this either. Right? And so it's something which over time has become somewhat of a lost science. So that's one of the other reasons that I wanted to um, speak about this in, in a bit more depth. The science of qiraat is basically the science of how to recite the Qur'an. Now most of us, I think, are familiar with the science of tajweed. And tajweed is how to recite the Qur'an, the rules and principles that govern the pronunciation and the recitation of the Qur'an. But the rules of tajweed, when they speak about the rules of tajweed, they normally confine it to the, the qira'ah of asim or hafs, which is the qira'ah that we all recite. But actually there are other qira'at as well. And when you bring all of those different variations in pronunciation, in rules of recitation, in the differences between words, like we just mentioned between nafathat and nafithat. And remember what we said, in script they are the same. Right? We said there are three conditions for a qira'ah to be accepted. Number one, it has to be in accordance to the Arabic language and its grammar. Number two, that it's authentic, it has an authentic Isnad, the chain of narration back to the Prophet wasallam, and it is mutawatir. And number three, that it's something which conforms to the script of Uthman, the Uthmani script, 
which is the way that Rasman wrote out the Quran and sent it to the various Muslim lands. Nafithat and Nafathat, the way they are written in the Quran is exactly the same. In the script, it is exactly the same. So the difference, therefore, is in the vowels which were added later on. So both of these, like Maliki and Maliki, are written exactly the same way in the Quran in terms of the script, the, the, the shape of the script, right? the form of the script. It is what is called dubbed, or putting on the dots and putting on the vowels, that's what changes. And that's something which is a science which came later. So this is what qiraat is. When you bring all of them together, all of these different variations, then you have what is called a qiraat. And these qiraat, as we said last week, there are qiraat which are mutawatir and qiraat which are shad. Mutawatir means that they fall, they conform to the three conditions that I just mentioned: Arabic language mutawatir, and according to Uthmani script. And then there are qiraat which don't conform to all of those conditions, and they are known as the peculiar or the irregular qiraat, the qiraat shadha. And we mentioned that last week when we spoke about one of the qiraat and so on. So. Um, the qiraat therefore is the term that's given to all of those that collection of qiraat. How did the qiraat work? How were they formed? They all came from the Prophet ﷺ. In the time of Umar when the Muslim lands expanded and the Muslims conquered places like Sham and Iraq and Egypt and Yemen and all of those different Muslim lands and people started to enter into the fold of Islam that weren't Arabs that weren't proficient in the Arabic language, weren't masculine the Arabic language, when they came to recite the Qur'an, they found, or the companions found, that these new Muslims, these reverts, in, in essence, were making mistakes in their recitation. They were reciting the Qur'an incorrectly. Just as today, there are Muslims from across the world, you know, many of our parents, Pakistan, India, Somalia, all of these countries in the Muslim world, that today recite the Qur'an incorrectly, because they haven't learned the rules of Tajweed. Right? No one taught them how to recite the Qur'an. So they became Muslims or they were born as Muslims and they went to a teacher who taught them the way that he had been taught or she had been taught and it passes on from generation to generation. So when Umar was faced with this issue or his governors highlighted this issue to him from those different lands, they requested that he send out the companions who are specialists in Qur'an to the different Muslim lands. So Umar agreed. And he sent, for example, uh, Abu Musa al-Ashari was sent to Basra. Ibn Mas'ud to Kufa. Mu'adh was sent to Philistine, Palestine. Abu Darda was sent to Damascus. Ubay ibn Ka'ab was kept in Medina. And so on and so forth. All of these major companions who were experts in Quran were sent to these Muslim lands and that's where they settled. And from them they had students who had students and so on. And so they developed these qiraat. So for example, one of them maybe according to the recitation that Ibn Mas'ud had. right? Or one of them according to the recitation of Ibn Abbas. Or one of the other companions of the Prophet ﷺ. There are two figures, two people who are extremely important in the science of qiraat. Right? There are many, but two that are like perhaps you know, like very well known. The first of them is a scholar who passed away approximately in the year 500 and something, I don't remember, 590. And he's a scholar by the name of Imam al-Shatibi, rahimahullah, who was from Andalus, from southern Spain. And he became the scholar who took all of that knowledge 
and he put it into poetry form. He has a poem that is famously known as the Shatibiyah, over a thousand verses of poetry, that all they do is speak about Qiraat. That's all it does. Speaks about Qiraat, a thousand verses of poetry, just on Qiraat. And a student of Qiraat would memorize this poetry because then in their minds they would be able to understand the variations without having to go and research them. Right? It's something which they have memorized, something which is available to them instantaneously. That's the first figure, Imam al-Shatibi. And Imam al-Shatibi based his book, his poetry, on a book that was written before him by a scholar by the name of Abu Amr al-Dani, rahimahullah, and he took his book and he just put it into poetry form. Another scholar who came maybe two, three hundred years later, a scholar by the name of Ibn al-Jazari, rahimahullah, Ibn al-Jazari. This scholar came and he essentially did the same thing. He wrote another book in poetry form as well. And instead of just taking Imam al-Shatibi's poem or the knowledge that he had, he gathered all of the books of Qiraat and he put, made a poetry from all of them. So what did Imam al-Shatibi did? Imam al-Shatibi just took one book and he confined himself to that book and he wrote it into poetry. So whatever was mentioned in that original book, that's what he mentioned in poetry. Anything that wasn't mentioned, he didn't, he didn't go into what this scholar Ibn al-Jazari did is he went through all of the books of Qiraat. Not just that one book, multiple books. He said that I gathered 980 different ways. From the books of Qiraat, 980 different narrations, different ways. And I brought them all together, those different recitations, and I made poetry from them. Right? So from those 10 Qiraat, he went through all of the books of Qiraat that speak about variations in them and so on. All of them authentic, conforming to those conditions that we mentioned. And he gathered all of them. Uh, so this is the, you know, like this is the science of Qiraat. And the science of Qiraat basically speaks about ten reciters. There are ten main reciters. Each one of them had two students. There are many students, but two that became well-known, prominent, in this science of Qiraat. So from those ten Qaris, we have two students. And when we recite the Qur'an, the name of that recitation is one of the names of the students. That's how it's named. So the main sheikh, the qari himself, right? for example, Nafi'ah. Nafi'ah is one of the ten. Nafi'ah has two students, Qalun and Warsh. So when we read the Qur'an, even in the recitation of Imam Nafi'ah, we're choosing one of the two students to read through. Either through the student Qalun or through the student Warsh. So when you hear the imam reciting, you don't say he's reading in the recitation of Nafi' because you don't know right, which one of the two students of Nafi' is he reciting in. You'll mention the name of the student. So in essence, there are 20 different variations. We say there's 10 qira'at, but because each of them have two students, there are, in essence, 20 different variations because even between the two students of one qari', there are differences. Right? No two qari' students are exactly the same. Every one of those 20, there are variations. Some more, some less, whatever. But there are variations in every single one of them. So who are these 10 Qur'an? I'm not going to go through like a detailed biography, but I want to go through who they are, um, you know, and their names and how they're connected back to the Prophet wasallam, just so that we have an understanding of who these people are. The first of them, and this is the order by the way, uh, it's not like in any preference or anything. It's the order that Imam al-Shatibi mentions them in. He mentioned them in a certain order, 
And that's the order that we're taking. So it's not about preference or who came first or last or which one was older or younger or more senior or less senior, more junior. No. It's about the order that was given to them by Imam al-Shatibi rahimahullah who every scholar more or less after Imam al-Shatibi they took that same order and they continued with it. So he begins with Imam Nafi' and Imam Nafi' is the first Qari' and he was from Medina. And Imam Nafi' is a reciter whose teachers whose teachers are from the students of the companions. So his teachers are the students of the companions. So his teachers directly studied with the likes of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, Abu Huraira radiallahu anhuma, and Ibn Abbas and Abu Huraira as we know are from the younger companions. Ibn Abbas in age is from the younger companions. Abu Huraira only came to Medina in the 60th of the Hijrah. He came in the, after the Battle of Khaybar, I think. He came, so he only uh, was with the Prophet ﷺ for three to four years before the Prophet ﷺ passed away. So those companions who came later, who were younger in age, or they accepted Islam later, or they migrated later, or they became Muslim after the conquest of Mecca and so on, what would they often do? After the death of the Prophet ﷺ, they studied with the other companions who were more senior to them in Qira'ah. More senior to them in Qur'an. So for example, Ibn Abbas, Abu Huraira, these companions, they studied with Zayd ibn Thabit, and Ibn Mas'ud, and Uthman, and Ali, and Ubay ibn Ka'b. These are companions who are senior when it comes to the recitation of the Qur'an. They're, if you like, the figureheads, right? They're the scholars, even amongst the companions when it comes to the recitation of the Qur'an. So Imam al-Nafi'ah, his students are from the his teachers rather are from the students of the companions like Abu Huraira and Abu Abbas, and obviously they heard from the Prophet directly, but also they also studied with other companions who were seen to them in Qur'an, like Uthman, like Ubay, like Zayd ibn Thabit, radiallahu anhum ajma'in. Nafir, um, it's not mentioned when he was born, I don't know exactly when he was born. But one of the interesting things that they say about him is that Imam al-Nafi' rahimahullah ta'ala, he lived in Medina his whole life. He said that I spent 60 years praying in the mosque of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. 60 years I spent teaching and praying in the mosque of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And his students mentioned that he always had very good breath. His breath would smell of musk, of perfume. So one of his students asked him one day and he said, O oh, Imam, do you wear perfume every time you come out to teach us, right? You perfume yourself and then you come to the masjid and teach us? And he said, no. But I saw in a dream that the Prophet ﷺ came to me and I was reading. So he recited the Qur'an into my mouth. He recited the Qur'an into my mouth. And from that time onwards, I have always found a pleasant smell emanating from me. Right? And Imam Malik rahimahullah ta'ala, the famous Imam you know, fiqh and hadith and so on. He said, Imam Nafi' is the Imam of Qira'ah. Right? And Imam Ahmad rahimahullah was asked, which Qira'ah do you prefer? He said, I prefer the Qira'ah of Medina, meaning the Qira'ah of Imam Nafi' and after him, the Qira'ah of Asim. Right? Al-Asim is the one that we recited. Right? And Imam Nafi' rahimahullah passed away in the year 169 Hijri. 169 Hijri. So this is the Imam, the first Imam, Imam Nafi'. Imam Nafi' had many students, but the two students that are most prominent that we take Qira'a from are two. The first of them is Qalun. Qalun. And his name, and that's his nickname, his name is Isa ibn Mayna. 
Isa ibn Umayna is famously known as Qalun, and it said that Qalun means good. Right? And it's like Roman or some other language because he was from a different land and he came and migrated and so on. He was the adopted son, or the stepson rather, of Nafi. So Qalun is the stepson of the Imam Nafi. And he was born in the year 120 in Medina. And he said that I spent 20 years studying with Imam Nafi. And he was asked, how many times did you read the Quran from cover to cover to Nafi? He said, I don't know. Too many to count. I lost count, but for 20 years I spent studying with him. And he became the Imam of Qira'ah in Medina after Imam Nafi passed away. He became the next Imam and he passed away in the year 220 of the Hijrah. 220 of the Hijrah. said that Imam Qalun was extremely quiet, would rarely talk unless he was reading the Qur'an or he was correcting someone's recitation of the Qur'an. And when someone would come and read to him, he would just look at their lips, he would watch their lips, and he would correct them based upon what he saw upon their lips. Rarely would he speak. The second student of Imam Nafi' or the second narrator is Warsh. Warsh, right? And Qalun, by the way, is still a recitation that's um, common in places like Libya and Algeria and so on. They still read in Qalun. Warsh is another recitation that's very popular in Morocco. Right? So if you go to Morocco, it's probably the most common recitation that you'll find. So when we pronounce the different qiraat, do we say Warsh and Nafi'? You can say Warsh and Nafi'. But if you say Warsh, I mean, it's well known that it's only Warsh and Nafi'. Right? There will be some narrators who have... They narrate from more than one qari and will mention them. For them, you would say so and so on so and so. Just to make the. No, no, the student first, then the teacher. Okay. Yeah. So you can say Warsh and Nafi. And if you actually look in the Quran, like the, the, the Saudi printed one and the other ones probably, they normally say Hafs and Asim. Right? They will give you the whole thing. Right? But it's not like necessary that you have to mention that because most people would understand what that means. So his second student is a man by the name of Warsh, whose name, and that's again another nickname, his actual name was Uthman ibn Sa'id. Right? And it said Warsh uh, in Arabic or in, 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 his, uh, in some other language means someone who's uh, fair-skinned, right? very fair-skinned, and because he was fair-skinned, he was known as Warsh. He was born in Egypt in the year 110 Hijri. What's amazing about this Imam um, Warsh is that he only came to Medina for one month. And he only studied in Medina for one month with Imam Nafi. And he said, I stayed for one month, and I finished the Qur'an with him four times. So he came for one month to Medina to study with Imam Nafi, and in one month he read the Qur'an from cover to cover by heart, four times from memory. Which is an amazing feat, because most of us read the Qur'an once by memory in a month, you know, like Ramadan, just like more than enough. Right? To read the Quran four times from memory in one month is amazing. His story, he says, Imam Warsh said that I traveled from Egypt and I came to Medina only to study. Didn't come for business, didn't come for hajj, didn't come for anything else. I came directly to Medina and I went to the Masjid of the Prophet ﷺ to study with Imam Nafi. He said that I entered and I found that the mosque was packed, full, no space. And all of those people are there to study with Nafi. All of them are students. So he said when I came, and you can imagine, he's come from Egypt, he's come only to study with the Sheikh, and he comes in and he finds that there's so many people there that he can't even find space to come and sit with the Imam. 
So he became, you know, upset. He became despondent. He felt that you know, he made all of this trip, and now he can't even get to the sheikh. Let alone read to the sheikh and finish with the sheikh and so on. So he asked one of the students. He said, "Who's a close friend of the imam?" And these are amazing stories. I like these stories because it shows you how ingenious some of these scholars were, right? and how cunning they were right? in a good way, and how they had to like be smart to come and to actually find a way to come and listen to and, 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 and study with the sheikh. Because the sheikh has hundreds of students. right? He doesn't know who this person is from Egypt or who someone else is. So many people. You have to compete in order to get to the sheikh. Right? And there's many examples of this within the biographies of the scholars. So Imam Marsh, what he did is he went to someone and he said, who's a close friend of Imam Nafi? Who's one of his closest friends? So they pointed to someone who was sitting in the masjid, not a student, and he said, that man is his friend. So he waited for him to go home, and then he said to this man, will you introduce me to him? So he said, okay. So he took him to his house, and he introduced him to the friend of Imam Nafi. And Imam Marsh said to him, who's come from Egypt, Warsh was the student, he said to the friend of Imam Nafi, I came from Egypt, not for business, not for Umrah, not for Hajj, nothing else, only to read to Imam Nafi. But now that I've come, I found there's so many students that I won't get a chance. So will you go to him and take me and be my intercessor, right? Be my wasita, right? Come and intercede for me and recommend me so that he will take me on as a student. So the man agreed. They went to Imam Nafi and he introduced him and he said, this is so-and-so from Egypt. He's come only to study, come only to study didn't come to make hajj, didn't come for umrah, didn't come for business, didn't come for marriage, came just to read the Qur'an to you, and now he doesn't find any time. So Imam Nafi' said to him, can you not see around me the children of the muhajireen and the children of the ansar? Meaning that these are from the descendants of the companions of the Prophet Right? These are their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, they're around me, they're my students. So how do I find time for him when I have here the descendants of the Muhajirin and the Ansar? So the man said to him, will you turn him back? His friend said to him, will you turn him back to Egypt? Without teaching, like he's come all this way to study with you, you'll turn him back? So Imam Nafi' said to Warsh, will you sleep in the masjid and stay here? And Imam Warsh said, yes. If you want me to stay here, I'll sleep in the masjid. He said, okay. He said, sleep in the masjid and come to me after Fajr. And when you come, you can read to me 30 verses. I think 30 verses or 30 of something, he said to him. 30 verses. So he would come in the morning, and he read the first morning to him 30 verses of the Qur'an. And when the people heard that he'd come from Egypt, and he went through you know, all of these like, different steps, and he's sleeping in the masjid and so on, and he's reading 30 verses, one of the students stood up and he said, Oh Imam, I read 30 verses to you. Give 10 of my verses to him, and I'll read 20 today. So Imam Nafi said, okay, no problem. So he read 10 more. So another student stood up and he said, give him 10 of mine as well. And then a third one, and a fourth one, and a fifth one. Until Imam Nafi, Imam Marsh said, I managed to read the Quran four times to him in that month. Because all of the students, what they're doing? They're giving him 10 of their verses each. So he's able to read enough so that he can make sufficient progress and finish the Qur'an four times during uh, that month. And then he left and he went back to Egypt and he passed away in the year 197 of the Hijrah. Right? It's amazing. 
you know, that type of determination, that zeal, that enthusiasm, that passion, and that willingness to find a way, even when it seems like all of the doors are closed, he wasn't willing to take no for an answer. He found a way to study with those imams and with those scholars, and this is something which is very common. So that's the first imam, Imam al-Nafi'. He's based in Medina. His two main students are Qarun and Warsh. The second of the ten Qurra is a man by the name of Ibn Kathir. Not Ibn Kathir, the scholar of Tafsir. They often get confused between the two. But Ibn Kathir, the scholar of Tafsir, lived like hundreds of, hundreds of years later. He passed away in, what was it, 7 something, like 758 or something like that, or maybe even later. This is Ibn Kathir, who was born in 45, the 45th year of the Hijrah, and he passed away in the year 120, and he's from Mecca. And his isnad, or his link to the Prophet ﷺ, is that from his teachers is Mujahid, rahimahullah, the famous scholar of Tafsir. And Mujahid is obviously a student of Ibn Abbas, and Ibn Abbas obviously is a companion of the Prophet ﷺ. So he's from the students of Mujahid, who's the foremost student of Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma. And he said that Ibn Kathir, his origin was that he was Persian. And when Ibn, uh, Ibn uh, sorry, when Mujahid rahimahullah passed away in the year 103 of the Hijrah, Ibn Kathir became the Imam of Mecca. Right? Because Mujahid was the Imam of Quran and so on. When he passed away, Ibn Kathir took his place until his own death in the year 120. And it said that he met a number of the companions like Ibn Zubayr and Abu Ayyub and Anas ibn Malik. Sufyan ibn Uyayna rahimahullah used to say that there is no one in Mecca who is more knowledgeable about the Quran than Ibn Kathir. And it said that Ibn Kathir, before he would teach people the Quran, he would always give them a reminder about the Quran and its importance and so on. And then he would teach them about the Quran. And he died, as we said, in the year 120 of the Hijrah. He has two students. The first of his students is a man by the name of Al-Bazzi. Al-Bazzi. And his name is Ahmed ibn Muhammad. And one of his forefathers, his name was Abu Bazza. So he became known as Al-Bazzi. Born in the year 170, passed away in the year 250 of the Hijrah. And he was one of the two main students of Ibn Kathir and the Qari of Mecca. And he was one of the Mu'adhins of the Haram. It said that he gave the Adhan in the Haram in Mecca for 40 years. For 40 years, he was one of the Mu'adhins of uh, the Haram in Mecca. The second student of Ibn Kathir is a man by the name of Qunbul. And Qunbul is um, also a nickname. His actual name is Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman. Right? Qunbul in modern Arabic language means what? Anyone know? Qunbul. What does Qunbul mean? No one knows this? In modern Arabic language, what does Qunbul mean? Qunbul. Huh? Qunbul. So Qunbul, it said that it either comes from a tribe, the name comes from a tribe known as the Qanabila, or it comes from a medicine that he used to eat a lot of because he had an illness and he used to use a medicine called Qunaybil. And so the people used to start calling him after his medicine and became known as Qunbul. He was born in the year 195 and he passed away in the year 291 of the Hijrah. So Ibn Kathir rahimahullah has these two, like these two um, students, Al-Bazzi and Qunbul. Right? By the way, um, the recitation of Nafi', you know, the recitation of Warsh is something which is well known. I think most of us have heard of Warsh. Uh, Qalun is also something which is 
fairly familiar, the Imam here often, um, you know, the, the one that normally leads the Salah, he often recites in Qalun. Uh, Ibn Kathir is a recitation which you don't hear very often. It's not one of the common recitations, it's not really somewhere, like it's one of the ones that have kind of become obscure. There's not really many Muslim lands that read in the recitation of Ibn Kathir. But one of the things that Ibn Kathir does in his recitation, and one of the ways that you know that it's the recitation of Ibn Kathir, is that he often, um, when there is a meme or jam'ah, the meme of, to show and denote a plural, he often puts a dhamma on it. So for example, he will say, سِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِ مُوْ غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِ مُوْ وَلَا الضَّالِينَ He doesn't say عَلَيْهِمْ, he says عَلَيْهِ مُوْ. أَأَنْتُمُوا أَشَدُّ خَلْقًا أَمِ السَّمَاءُ بَنَاهَا Whenever there's a tum or a kum or a hum, he doesn't use it as a hum, he puts a dhamma on it. It's always a kumu, tumu, humu. Right? And that's one of the easiest ways of noticing his uh, recitation and his qira'ah. Can you give us an example of the So there is a big difference between Qalun and Warsh. There is a big difference. Qalun actually um, has many variations within it. It is um, in some of its forms very similar to Hafs. Not much of a difference. Whereas Warsh is well known for Mudud. Makes everything long. Right? And so it's something which, which goes completely different to Qalun in the sense that he has a lot of Mudud. Right? So he, that's the one that you hear. There's always a Mad. Right? إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا سَوَاءٌ عَلَيْهِمُ أَنْذَرْتَهُمُ right? It's like mad, 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 mad. So he's like doing a lot of mudud. Whereas Qalun doesn't have that. The third qari is the qira'a of Abu Amr al-Basri. The third qari, his name is Abu Amr, and he was from Basra. And his name was Zabban ibn al-Ala ibn al-Uryan. Abu Amr is obviously his kunya. And his uh, isnad, if you like, back to the Prophet wasallam, is that his teachers, or from his teachers, are the likes of Ata' and Ikrima and Al-Hassan, and these are the major scholars of the Tabi'een, who in turn studied with the likes of Ibn Abbas and Ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu anhum. So his teachers are from the students of the companions also. He was born in Mecca, it is said, either in the year 68 or 70 of the Hijrah, but then he moved fairly early on to Basra, and that's where he grew up and where he remained for the majority of his life. And uh, he became the Imam of Qur'an or the Imam of Qur'an in Basra during his lifetime. Uh, and his lifetime also coincided with these uh, you know, major scholars, Ata', Ikrima, Al-Hasan, Basri, all of these famous scholars of Qur'an and Tafsir and of Islam. It said that Imam Al-Hasan Basri, rahimahullah, one day came into the masjid and he saw so many people surrounding uh, Abu Amr. Abu Amr is teaching Qur'an and there's so many people like him. And Imam al-Hasan al-Basri was so amazed by the multitude of people around him that he said, La ilaha illallah, it's almost as if this scholar is like the Khalifa. Right? Because of all of the people that are around him, surrounding him and learning from him. Ibn al-Jazari rahimahullah ta'ala and others, they said, or Ibn al-Jawzi as well, the scholar, the famous scholar Ibn al-Jawzi, he said that Abu Amr's recitation became prevalent during my time. So Imam Ibn al-Jawzi, I think, lived in the 6th century of Islam. He said that the recitation of Abu Amr spread in my time to Asham and Yemen and Egypt and Mecca and Medina. 
So like today, Hafs is like more or less all over the world. He said, in my time, it was the recitation of Abu Amr al-Basri. And Abu Amr died in the year, passed away in the year 154 of the Hijrah. Rahimahullahu ta'ala. He had two students. The first student, or many students, but the two that are well known for qiraat. The first of them is a man by the name of Ad-Duri, whose name was Hafs ibn Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. Ad-Duri is the area that he came from in a place in Baghdad. And it said that he was one of the first scholars ever to write a book in Qiraat. So this scholar Ad-Duri was one of the first um, scholars ever to write a book in Qiraat. And he passed away in the year 246 of the Hijrah, 246 of the Hijrah. Now Ad-Duri is one of those scholars, one of those uh, imams of Qur'an that had more than one teacher. He studied with Abu Amr and he also studied with one of the other reciters that's number seven on the list, a man by the name of Imam Al-Kisai. So he narrates from both of them. So like what you asked before, do we have to say Warsh and Nafi'? For him you would say it. To differentiate between his two teachers. Ad-Duri had two teachers. Both of them you recite the Qira'ah in. You say Ad-Duri on Abu Amr or Ad-Duri on Al-Kisai. Right? He's one of those that had two teachers that we still read from. The second student of Abu Amr is a Susi, a Susi, whose name was Salih ibn Ziyad ibn Abdullah, born in the year 173, passed away in the year 261 of the Hijrah. And a Susi is the famous Qira'ah, you know, the one that, that um, you'll hear sometimes being recited. And that's the one where, where there's two letters that are the same in two separate words, he merges them together. Like, for example, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Maliki Yawmiddin. So he doesn't say Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Mi Maliki. Right? He doesn't use them as two separate memes. He merges them. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Maliki. Alam tara kayf Right? Alam tara kayf. Not kayf fa'ala. Kayf. Yeah, he makes it one. He merges them. And there's two letters that are the same, and there's obviously exceptions to this rule, but generally when there's two letters that are in two separate words, he merges them. He does the most merging for all the Qur'an. He's the one that you'll hear. If you hear someone doing that, you know, okay, he's reciting in the recitation of Al-Imam Al-Susi. Was it 163? 173 173-261. 173-261. The fourth Imam is Ibn Amir. Ibn Amir. Rahimahullah ta'ala, and he was based in Damascus. So you can see Nafi' was in Medina, Ibn Kathir is in Mecca, Abu Amr is in Basra, Ibn Amir is in Damascus. And he was, his link back to the Prophet is that he was from the students of the companions himself. He studied with the famous companion Abu Darda, radiyallahu anhu warda. And Abu Darda, as we said, is the companion who Umar sent to Damascus to teach the people. It said that Ibn Amr, there's a difference of opinion as to when he was born. Some narrations say in the 8th year of the Hijrah, some say the 21st year of the Hijrah, and so on and so forth. There is a um, difference of opinion, but that makes him from the Tabi'een. It said that when um, <clears throat> when Abu Darda, radiallahu an, when he came to Damascus, the way that he would teach the people is that he would go to the central mosque of Damascus, what is known as today as the Jami' al-Ummawi, and he would sit there after Dhuhr. And all of the people who would come to study the Qur'an, he would put them into groups of ten, circles of ten. And at the head of every group, he would have one teacher. And he himself would go and sit on the minbar. So if in that group of ten, as they're reciting, they're taking it 
by turns, one by one. If someone made a mistake, the teacher would correct them. Right? That group of ten, the teacher corrects them. And if the teacher is unsure, or they make a mistake, they would go back to Abu Darda on the minbar, and he would correct them. And that's how Abu Darda would teach the Quran in Jami' al-Umami. So when Abu Darda passed away, who took his place? Ibn Amr, the student. Right? From all of those different teachers, Ibn Amr was the one who took his place. And his name was Abdullah Ibn Amr. That's his full name, Abdullah Ibn Amr. And as we said, there's a difference of opinion as to when he was born. But he passed away in Damascus in the year 118 of the Hijrah. He had two students. The first of his students is a man by the name of Hisham ibn Ammar. Hisham ibn Ammar was born in the year 153, passed away in the year 245 of the Hijrah. And he became the Imam of Damascus after ibn Amir passed away, rahimahullah ta'ala. One of the interesting things about Hisham also is that he was a prolific narrator of hadith. So that's not always the case, Imams of Quran aren't necessarily imams of hadith or narrators of hadith, but Hisham is one of those who was. So he's, for example, from the students of Imam Malik, and he's from the teachers of Imam al-Bukhari, and Abu Dawood, and Nasa'i, and many of the famous scholars of hadith. There's a, um, an interesting story of Hisham, when he first went to study with Imam Malik in Medina. He came to Malik and he was young in age, and he entered into the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And as we know, Imam Malik had many, many students. Right? He had many, many students that would come and they would study with him. And he was young in age. So when he came to Imam Malik and he said, Oh Imam, I've come to you to study. I want to learn hadith from you. Imam Malik said, Why are the children coming to me? Right? Because Imam Malik had this thing that if you came to Imam Malik and you were young in age, you had to go to his students first. You would study with him. And then when they would finish with you or you'd pass from them or whatever it was, then you would go to Imam Malik and study. So he said, why has the student come, why has the boy come to me, right? The child come to me. So one of the students in Imam Malik understood this, he took out he took the boy by the hand, took him outside the masjid, and you know he gave him a beating as well. Right, just to make sure he understood the point. So when Imam Malik Rahimahullah came out, he found him crying. Found him crying. So, and he said, Hisham came from Damascus, by the way. He's a young lad, maybe 10, 11, 12 years old. And his father gathered his wealth so that he could go for Hajj in, like, in the company of you know, the people that leave from Damascus and they go for Hajj so he would have safe travel. And when he came to Medina, he came to Imam Malik. Right? So he comes to Imam Malik and Imam Malik says to him, you know, whatever he says, and he gets beaten up outside by one of his students. And then when Imam Malik comes out, he finds him crying. So he says, why are you crying? He says, my father gathered his wealth and he paid for me to come for Hajj. And I came for one of the reasons was so that when I come to Medina, I will come to you and study Hadith. But all that you did was take me out and all that you student did was beat me. So Imam Malik rahimahullah felt sorry for him when he saw him like this. So he said to him, I will narrate to you how many times did he hit you? He said 17 times. So he said, I will narrate to you 17 Hadith. For the 17 times that he struck you, I will narrate to you 17 hadith. And then he carried on uh, studying with him. Rahimahumullahu ta'ala ajma'in. The second student of uh, Ibn Amir, so Hisham is the first, and the second one is Ibn Dhaqwan. Ibn Dhaqwan. And Ibn Dhaqwan and Hisham, after Ibn Amir, both of them became imams of the central mosque in Damascus, the Jami' al-Umawi, which is the main mosque in Damascus. It said that one of them was the Khatib, 
and the other one was the imam. Right? One of the students became the imam, the other one became the khatib. So Ibn Dhaqwan, whose full name is Abdullah Ibn Ahmad Ibn Bashir Ibn Dhaqwan, born in the year 173 and passed away in the year 242. Abu Zur'a, who's one of the famous scholars of that time, he said that I didn't meet anyone in Iraq or in Mecca or in Medina or in Asham or in Egypt who was more knowledgeable about the recitation of the Qur'an than Ibn Dhaqwan. The fifth of the ten Qurra, right, we're halfway there, inshallah. The fifth of the ten Qurra is a man by the name of Asim, born in Al-Kufa, and that's the one that we read in, the recitation of Imam Al-Asim. And his link back to the Prophet ﷺ is that his teachers are from the students of the companions. So his teachers studied with Ibn Mas'ud, Ubay ibn Ka'ab, Zayd ibn Thabit, and others. His full name is Asim ibn Bahdala ibn Abin Najud, and he passed away, I don't know when he was born, it's not mentioned, but he passed away in the year 129 of the Hijrah. One of the interesting things that I found in his biography is that it said that he was someone who was constantly praying. Someone who would always be praying. To the extent that if he went out of his house because he had to go and do something, he had a chore or he had some errand to run, and he passed by a masjid, he would stop and he would go to the masjid and he would pray. And then he would leave and he would carry on. And when people would ask him, he would say, my own issues can wait, but the salah doesn't wait. And he would go and he would pray. And because he was so well known from, um, from the scholars of Qur'an, the tabi'een, because he's from that level, that generation of the tabi'een, the students of the companions, his, some of the tabi'een who were some of his teachers, when they would see him, they would kiss his hand out of respect for him because of the knowledge that he had of the Qur'an. He was asked, how did you study the Qur'an? He said that I would go to Abu Abdurrahman al-Sulami, who was one of his teachers, who was the student of Ali radiallahu He said that I would go to Abu Abdurrahman al-Sulami and I would read the Qur'an from him. And then when I would leave, I would go to another scholar by the name of Zir ibn Hubaysh, from the, from the students of Ibn Mas'ud. So he would go to one of the students of Ali and study with him. And then he would go to the student of Ibn Mas'ud and study with him and combine between the two or compare the two and see how both of them recited. And as we said, he passed away in the year 129 of the Hijrah. He has two students, or two famous uh, students that we narrate from. The first of them is Shu'bah. Shu'bah ibn Ayyash ibn Salim, also famously known as Abu Bakr ibn Ayyash. His name is Shu'bah, born in the year 95 of the Hijrah and passed away in the year 193 of the Hijrah. He was approximately 96, 97 years old at the time of his death. Uh, not only is he a great scholar of Qur'an, but he was an amazing scholar of hadith, rahimahullah ta'ala. Ibn al-Mubarak, rahimahullah Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, the famous scholar of, of the Sunnah said, I never found anyone to be more eager to follow the Sunnah than Shu'bah. And Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, said he is a scholar of the Qur'an and a scholar of good. And Ibn Ma'in, Yahya Ibn Ma'in said for 50 years he didn't sleep at night, meaning he would spend his night awake in, uh, in salah. He said about himself that I would go to my teacher Asim. For three years I studied with him and I would go to him whether it was raining, or whether it was hot, or whether it was cold, whatever the weather. I would go and I would study with him. And whenever I would finish, Imam Asim would say to me, what you have learned today, remember it. Because it is better than everything in this world and what it contains. Meaning these verses of the Qur'an that I taught you, remember it because it is better in this world than anything, than, than anything in this world, than this world and everything within it. 
At the time of his death, um, one of his children came to him and they were crying because he was on his deathbed. And he said to him or her, why are you crying? I finished the Quran 18,000 times in my life. I read the Quran from cover to cover 18,000 times. Don't, you don't need to cry for me. Rahimahullah ta'ala. The second student of Imam Asim, and that's the famous one, the one that we all recite in, is the recitation of Imam Hafs. Hafs ibn Sulaiman ibn al-Mughira, born in the year 90 of the Hijrah in al-Kufa, and passed away in the year 180 of the Hijrah, from the students of Asim, and he was also his stepson, stepson of Imam Asim, and one of his two famous students. And that is the, the Qira'ah, that has today become prevalent across the vast majority of the world, right? Muslim world and non-Muslim world, more or less everywhere. It is the recitation of Imam Hafs. And there's an interesting discussion as to why this recitation. From all of the recitations, right? as we said before, there was a time when Abu Amr's recitation was prevalent. You know, the people of Medina had their own recitation. Imam Ahmed said that's the best recitation to follow. All of those things that we have in history, why Hafs, right? And one of the reasons why Allah knows best is because in the time of the Ottomans, when the Ottomans took over the Khilafah and publishing, you know, the publishing, the printing press became established and, and people started publishing books and spreading them across the world and it became easier to, to print. The, the qira'ah that was chosen by the Ottomans to print the Qur'an and to spread across the Muslim world was the qira'ah of Hafs. Why the Qur'an of Hafs? I don't know. I don't know. Allah, Allah knows best. But for some reason, they chose the Qur'an of Hafs, and that's the one that they printed and spread across the Muslim world, and that's why it became the most prevalent one, to the extent that in Medina, the Qur'an of Nafi' is no longer recited. Right? It's not the major Qur'an. Ibn Kathir in Mecca, no. You know, Abu Amr in Basra, no. Right? All of these other ones, Ibn Amr in Damascus, no. Right? It is now the Qur'an of Hafs. That's more or less taken over the Muslim world, and that is the one that we are all reciting in, and that we are most familiar with. And that is obviously the you know the the grace that Allah Azza wa Jalla gives to whomsoever He wills. Allah Azza wa Jalla causes some things to stand the test of time, and others not to. The sixth of the Qur'an is a man by the name of Hamza, and his students, or his sheikhs rather, are from the students of the students of Ibn Mas'ud. So he's two generations removed from. Ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu and Ubay ibn Ka'ab and Zayd ibn Thabit. His full name is Hamza ibn Habib al-Kufi, born in the year 80 and passed away in the year 156 Hijrah. So he is more or less living in the time of which famous imam in Kufa? Abu Hanifa. Rahimahullah ta'ala. Right? And Imam Abu Hanifa used to say to Imam Hamza, there are two things that you have surpassed me in. Two things that you have more knowledge about over me. The first is Qur'an, meaning qira'ah, recitation. And the second is inheritance, fara'ad. You have more knowledge in this than me in these two issues. And he passed away, as we said, in the year 156 of the Hijrah. He has two famous students. The first of them is Khalaf, and the second is Khalad. Khalaf ibn Hisham, born in the year 150, passed away in the year 229 in Baghdad, from the students of Imam Malik and from the teachers of Imam Muslim and Imam Ahmad and Imam Abu Dawood. Khalaf is a student of Hamza, but then he also has his own qira'ah. So he's a student of a qari' and a qari' in his own right. And he's number 10 on the list. Right? So he's a student and he's a qari'. 
So we have one student that is a student of two Qur'an, and then now we have a student who also has his own stand-alone Qira. Right? And how do you differentiate between the two? They say Khalaf. When you say Khalaf, it means the Khalaf as the student of Hamza. But when you speak about Khalaf as the teacher, they say Khalaf al-Asha. Khalaf, the tenth, meaning the tenth in the list. Khalaf al-Asha. The other student of Hamza is Khalad. His full name is Khalad ibn Khalid. And he passed away in the year 220 of the Hijrah. And his date of birth or the year of his birth is a mention. The seventh of the ten Qur'an is Imam al-Kisai. Whose name was Ali ibn Hamza al-Kufi al-Kisai. And he is also, his teachers are also from the students of the students of Ibn Mas'ud and Ubay and Sayyid ibn Thabit. And Al-Kisai, as well as being a famous scholar of Qur'an, is also a very famous scholar of... Does anyone know? Al-Kisai. It is probably knows this. Arabic? Grammar. Arabic grammar. Al-Kisai is one of the famous scholars of grammar, along with Sibawai and those kind of people. Al-Kisai is one of the famous scholars of Arabic grammar. Born in the year 120... Passed away in the year 189 of the Hijrah. And Imam Shafi'i said, everyone is dependent upon Kisai when it comes to Arabic grammar. And he was one of the teachers of Harun al-Rashid. Um, he taught him Quran and he taught him Arabic grammar as well. Harun al-Rashid, obviously the Khalifa. He has two students. One of them is Ad-Duri, we mentioned. Ad-Duri is one of the students of Abu Amr. And the other one is Abu al-Harith. Abu al-Harith, whose name is Al-Layth ibn Khalid, passed away in the year 240 of the Hijrah. I'm just going to like, um, kind of like, quicken the pace. Uh, the eighth Qari is Abu Ja'far. Abu Ja'far is, his name is Yazid ibn Qa'ata from Medina. He's from the Tabi'een. His teachers are Ibn Abbas. He's from the students of Ibn Abbas and Abu Huraira, radiyallahu anhumah. I don't know when he was born, but he passed away in the year 130 of the Hijrah. And he was from the teachers of Imam Malik. Imam Malik studied Quran from him and so on. And he said about himself that I once met Umm Salama, radiyallahu anha, one of the wives of the Prophet and she made dua for me. And that's why I think that I excelled in this knowledge and in the Quran. He would fast one day and he would break his fast one day, meaning he would fast the fast of Dawood, alayhi salam. Is he the son of So, as we said, uh, passed away in the year 130. He has two uh, famous students, Ibn Wardan, whose name is Isa Ibn Wardan, passed away in the year 160, and Ibn Jammaz, whose name is Sulaiman Ibn Muslim, passed away in the year 170. Number nine in the list of the ten Qurra is Ya'qub from Basra. His name is Ya'qub Ibn Ishaq. And there's three generations between him and the companions of the Prophet ﷺ in terms of his recitation. He was born in the year 117, passed away in the year 205 of the Hijrah. And after Abu Amr passed away in Basra, Ya'qub became the Imam of Quran in Basra. He has two famous students, Ruwais and Rawh. Ruwais, his name is Muhammad ibn Mutawakkil, passed away in the year 238. Rawh ibn Abdul Mu'min passed away in the year 233. And that brings us to the tenth and the final one, and that is Khalaf, uh, who, as we said, when he's a qari, we call him Khalaf al-Ashib. And, you know, we don't already mentioned his biography, so we don't need to go through him. But he has two famous students, Ishaq and Idris. Ishaq ibn Ibrahim passed away in the year 286, 
and Idris ibn Abdul Karim passed away in the year 292 of the Hijrah. Right. So those are the ten Qurra and their two, like each Qari with their two famous narrators. So when we basically come across the Quran, and this is very common as we'll see, and we say, as we said, وَمِن is the Qira'ah of Ruwais. Ruwais is one of the two students of? Uh, Ya'qub. MashaAllah. At least Ruwais was paying attention. Right. So Ya'qub has two students. One of them was Ruwais. He, from all of the 20 that we just mentioned, the 20 variations, is the only one that reads, وَمِن شَرٍ نَافِثَاتِ right. What is the difference between نَافِثَات and نَفَاثَات? Anyone tell me? Singular plural. Singular right. So he makes it the singular. Everyone else recites in the plural. Why do they do that and what does that mean? I think we should leave now to next week. Um, simply because, yeah, I mean, if we start first number four, we'll be here for another hour. So... Um, any questions? So I know that was like slightly on a tangent and so on, but inshallah, hopefully now like we have a better understanding of this um, and it's something which we can... And, you know, had we more time, I would have gone into how they all differ, differ in recitation and so on, but this isn't really um, a study session on qiraat, but maybe that's something, inshallah, that we can do in a different setting next week. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. Okay, yeah. No, so the students have many, the teachers have many students, right? many, many students. These are the two that became famous. Right? They became famous from, like Imam al-Bukhari has many students, Imam Muslim has many students, but their books were narrated by one, two, three, four. Right? They became the famous students of these, like Imam Malik has many students, but his madhab is reported by a handful. Right? Imam Ahmad has many students, but if you look at who reported from him his madhab, it's only a handful. So that's how it worked, right? There are certain students that just became prominent and well-known for these different sciences. So someone like Abu Ja'far, he's a teacher of Imam Malik, right? Imam Malik is one of his students in Qur'an. Many, many students. But there were a couple that just spent all of their time and effort in this science of Qira'ah, and they became famous for it, they taught it. Because one of the other reasons why there's only a couple that are famous is because they actually sat and taught Qur'an. So Imam Malik doesn't sit and teach Qur'an. Imam Malik teaches hadith. Right? Other scholars don't do it. These scholars actually sat and they taught their students. So we have a chain of narration. Remember, it has to be mutawatir. So this is where the mutawatir chain comes from. Right? Otherwise, there are you know, other, other students and there are many of them. Right? So Sheikh, so when you get warsh from Nafiq, that, that recitation is also narrated from other than Nafiq and other people. Yes, yeah, so Nafi would have had many students that would have recited that. No. But how did it reach us? No. It reached us through what? The level from above Nafi. Above Nafi? Also has many teachers. Yeah. So Nafi has many teachers. Right? And his teachers have you know, many companions that they, that they, that they studied with. Manuash? Hey. Who's the one that sent them? Umar. Umar radiallahu anhu. Any questions online? Uh, there was one which is, can you elaborate on the Torah of each student? And I think that's like going into like something which is a complete like different science and once you open that door it becomes very like... Um, 
But it's something which, you know, like, it's something, inshallah, which I hope. Uh, actually, one of the things that you can all do, like, if you're more interested in this, is simply on, on YouTube. Uh, Shaykh Abdul Rashid, the Sufi, is one of the few reciters who has more or less a recitation in every single qiraat. Right? Even if it's just 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You know, mashallah, he's an amazing uh, sheikh anyway. Someone that's come to Birmingham, actually, a few times, I think, and so on. And inshallah, I think he comes here regularly to this masjid because they do like something in qiraat. Um, if you type in, for example, Abdul Rashid Sufi, Warsh, Bazi, I don't know, Hisham, wherever, you'll find a recitation of him. So if you find, for example, a surah and you just listen to it, like open the Qur'an, you'll see the differences, not only in the rules of tajweed, but also in the variations of the words here and there, the different variations that you have. And there's also, by, by the way, a Qur'an that you can get, just one, one Qur'an, in Arabic, obviously, a mushaf, that has and contains all of the variations of the tinqirat in the margins. So you have the page, and in the margins it tells you, actually it's not nafathat, it's nafithat in ways, this here, this there, and so on. That's if you want to. And it's available as a PDF. You don't have to buy it. Yeah. Yeah, so the Prophet would recite in all of them. Um, he would read in all of them because all of them go back to these companions who go back to the Prophet. And these are obviously, <clears throat> when it comes to the words, they are variations in the Arabic language as well. Right? So we have plural and we have singular. Right? We have, you know, Sometimes, like uh, whatever the variations are, they they either emphasize something more, or you know, there's like a variation. As we go through the tafsir, we'll speak about the meaning between those variations. Tata. Yeah. It doesn't totally change. They they complement each other. So Malik and Malik, king and owner, complement each other. Right? And we mentioned this in Surah Nas when he spoke about why in Fatiha can you read it both ways, but in Surah Nas you can only say Malik in Nas. Right? And then, because there's, there's a complement a complementary form in Fatiha that doesn't exist in the meaning of Surah Nas. So yes, there are changes, but remember, because the Uthmani script has to be conformed to. There is there are, the the variation is limited. Right? It's limited in how much you can change it, and so it will be something like Malik and Malik, Ona and King. Yes, it is two different words, but both of them also complement each other. But the way it's written, the way it was initially written, obviously without all the you know the we added on, it was written always exactly the yeah. same. So in from the sciences of Quran, and again these are the sciences that have become lost over time. Very few people study and learn these sciences. One of those sciences is called Ilmur Rasam. Rasam means script, the science of the script. The scholars of the past, the Salaf, have books on this, telling you how the, you're allowed to read or write the script of the Qur'an. There are books on the script of the Qur'an. Our religion is amazing. Even to the level of how you write the Qur'an, there are books that tell you the rules of which to recite the Qur'an, write the Qur'an. Right? So today, you know, most of us when we write the Qur'an, we write it the way that we normally write Arabic. Because we don't really understand those rules of Rasul. And that's okay. You know, I think, inshallah, that's not something which is you know, haram like that because we're not writing it for Qur'an or Qira'ah. But actually, when you're writing the Qur'an as the Qur'an, there are rules. Right? And it's called Rasul. Rasul means the form and the script. So Maliki and Maliki in the Qur'an, if you were to like, get the Qur'an now, and I don't have like, a PowerPoint to show you this, but I, I think most of us have memorized that page. 
it is written exactly the same way. In a Quran that is printed in Warsh, has a script of Warsh, you'll have a Fatha on top. But in Hafs, what do they put on top? The small Alif. To show you Maliki and Maliki. The form hasn't changed. The script is the same. The second science, which again is another lost science, is called Ilm al-Dabt. Ilm al-Dabt is the science of vowels and tashkil. That's the one that tells you, oh, here you can do this or that. Right? Here you can do whatever this, right? So for example, when Allah Azza wa says in Surah Al-Tawbah, إِنَّ اللَّهَ اشْتَرَى مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ أَنفُسَهُمْ وَمَالَهُمْ بِأَنَّ لَهُمُ الْجَنَّةِ Allah has brought from the believers their wealth and their souls, and in return giving them Jannah. يُقَاتِلُونَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ They fight in the path of Allah. فَيَقْتُلُونَ وَيُقْتَلُونَ They are killed and they kill. In the other recitation, فَيُقْتَلُونَ وَيَقْتُلُونَ They are killed and they kill. Switches it around. Ilm al-Dab tells you you can do this and you can do that. And it's taken from Qur'an. Obviously all of these sciences complement each other. But again, this is a whole different thing. You know, like I would really like to do like an Elm night on this one. But I think only like me and three people would have done and I was like, whoa, why, why are we doing this? <laughs> right, yeah. Shaykh, I don't want to clarify. So are we saying that Nafi, so from the Prophet he recited in all 20 variants, and then... So remember, Nafi is not the first person. He's not the inventor of the Qira'ah. He's the one who became famous for the Qira'ah. Like Imam al-Bukhari didn't invent the Hadith. He's just famous as the one who... And there's many scholars before him who narrated Hadith and recorded Hadith. He's, they just want as famous. And then from the Sahaba, Nafi would recite in two main ways. And one of his students became famous for one of them. No, so remember, because Nafi has taken from so many companions, so many scholars, when he's reading to his students, he's also giving them those variations, right? So Qalun has taken one of those variations. Warsh has taken one. Has he only taken one, or did he also take Or maybe like a couple of them. Yeah, maybe, but that's the one that's like he's known by so when Imam, Imam uh, as we said, Ibn Jazari came and he said, I gathered 980 different ways, right? So for example, you know, like this is going to start getting technical now. But if, for example, in Hafs, right, Hafs, every time there's a mud, if you read according to Imam al-Shatibi's version, every time there's a mud, you have to make the mud. You don't have a choice. You have to make the mud. Imam Ibn Jazari, because he gathered so many different variations, said, no, actually... Imam Hafs also has a way that in some muds you can make it short. Right? Some muds you can't, but some muds you can. So, you know, like, and often now that's what, what, what people do, right? When they're reading, they make certain muds short, even though it's written in the script, it's written with a mud. Right? In the Quran, in the Mus'haf of Medina, it's written with a mud. But it's an optional mud. Right? You have the Jais and Mufassil and, and all of that stuff. Where, why the difference? Imam Shalt in the station, you don't have a choice. But in Imam. Ibn al-Jazari, because he gathered more variant very, very, very like kind of chains and so on, he said you can, right? And, that, and that's like where it starts becoming a science, and that's why people have dedicated their lives to it, and there's faculties about this, because it starts to become obviously more in-depth and more technical. And Allah knows best. Anyone else? That enough of tiraat for today? Jazakumullah khairan. Okay, inshallah. Muhammad wa ala yeah, so if everyone can just give me one minute, we're just going to log off and then I have an announcement for all of you here. Offline? No, you don't sound sure, man. Okay, so uh, 